And now presenting the Date Night Drive-In. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to the Date Night Drive-In. Uh, I hope you've got your popcorn and approximately 200% more pick and mix than you're actually planning to eat. <laughs> Sorry for the delay. We got busy. Um, we had some scheduling problems, a lot like, insert name of film in Hollywood here that's been delayed. <laughs> um, and we are back. We're back. We, we did, just, we just we've month. just skipped August. We yeah. put it in the bin. We, 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 were, we were doing like real life stuff. Um, I know four people whose birthdays are across the span of like three weeks. It's exhausting. And one of them is on this podcast. Yeah, it's you. It's me. Yes, it is. So... Welcome back. We're doing another like classic film. Um, we I, I like how purely by random chance we've sort of gone from you know newer film and then like a classic film and then newer and sort of yeah. I think we're bouncing around quite a lot. We're not just doing all like forties and fifties yeah. films, but we're also God, I wish eighties, nineties. <laughs> yeah, and we had Avengers: um, Infinity War. Yes, yeah, our first one. Um, We've yes. also got independent movie projects going off on the side. For example, we're recording this in September. I have made a pact with my horror-loving uh, roommate to watch a bunch of horror films before Halloween. So I'm working my way through that as well as this. Nice. Um, and we've been seeing stuff in the cinema as well. Movie's good. Yeah, movies are very good. What's the best movie you've seen recently in the cinema? Recently? How, how far am I allowed to go with recently? I'm going to say... In the past three months. In the past three months, so that's August. Oh god, maths. July, yeah. And June counts? I'm gonna look on my letterbox before I answer you. Um, my answer is uh, My Friends Hate Me, which is really good. It's like a really. Yeah. It's a low budget, very psychological sort of horror slash thriller film. It was great. I saw it in like a local independent cinema. It was ace. I think. Scanning through very quickly, my answer is going to have to be... Nope. Yeah, I was going to say. Because a lot of the films I've seen that I've really enjoyed haven't been cinema Cinema. ones. Or they've been specifically home release. So ones that I think also have good answers would be... um, Sorry. Oh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Because I went to see a rescreening in the cinema, so it counts. Um, but Not Okay and Fire Island, I both really enjoyed, but they were both uh, director streaming. Yeah. So. One more. One more. That was some great um, audio for the listeners. <laughs> and look through her letterbox page. You um, vamped, you vamped, it was fine. What? You, you vamped, you like filled the, filled the time. Oh, was that what that? Yeah. Sure. Um, so, we are on Citizen Kane. It isn't the IMDb Top 100, but it's a lot lower than I thought it would be. Yeah. I thought it would be Top 10, it's 96. No, I think, so, in the top percentile of these uh, IMDb, IMDb Top 100, you have the ones that, like, are critically acclaimed and also film boys love. Yeah. Film boys don't really love Citizen Kane that much. I mean, the the impression that I've got from my research is that basically no one except, like, directors like Citizen Kane. Which is why I like it so much. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to go through my other stuff, because we have an order. Mm-hmm. This was released in 1941, Ooh. so it was in the middle of a significant global event. Yes. Um, it was directed by and starring Orson Welles. Yes. You may or may not know, it was his first ever I did know that. feature, it's his directorial debut. 
But he was well known before that for um, the radio ad- adaptation of War of the Worlds. Yes. Which he uh, produced, directed, and I think voiced some characters he for did. as well. He did. He was the narrator, I believe. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, which is very good. It's, it's iconic. Um, yeah. The <laughs> thing about people believing that they're actually under attack by aliens is like a huge myth, by the way. Yeah, I know. It was a good, um, immersive... I would love to have like immersive radio experiences like that. I think the Magnus Archives podcast really capitalised on like the spiritual yeah. succession of oh, they, that. They don't need all that advertising, but I know, I know uh, what you mean. Yeah. Um, and I think that is coming back, like you said, with podcasts, which is neat. Yeah, I think that's... I think we are currently seeing a huge revival of um, 40s and 50s because that is in itself 1970s nostalgia. Yeah. Because there's, like, the 50-year rules. It's been 50 years since the 1970s, and the 1970s loved, like, the 20s and 30s, and so we're kind of, like, seeing another recycling of that. It's really interesting. It's interesting, yeah. So, um, I think this is the first film, I'm just going through our list, where the director also stars in the film. Uh, Yes, I think it is. Doesn't... Oh, no, it's not. that's not Infinity War. That's in... Endgame. Endgame. And the Russo brothers are, like, in the film for, like, five minutes. It counts. Oh, I said starring. Okay. I wouldn't say okay, you wouldn't fair. say Endgame stars. Fair, so fair, 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 fair. Um, so yeah, Orson Welles uh, obviously plays Charles Foster Kane, who's the yes. main. He is the citizen of Citizen yeah. Kane. Um, he went on to write lots of other films, uh, The Magnificent Ambersons and The Lady from Shanghai. Yeah. Uh, two sort of quite well-known mm-hmm. ones, but I'd say like his most notorious film is still Citizen Kane. It's his most well-known. Yeah. You know, it's his motion picture debut, which I think is a lot of pressure to put on someone, honestly. How do you think that feels to, like, do something so amazing at such a young age and kind of just never reach that height again? Uh, I, I don't know, because I haven't done anything amazing yet. <laughs> I think you've done lots of amazing okay, things. Okay, thank you. Um, so the cast, obviously he's the lead. Um, there are lots of other very sort of well-known acts in this. Uh, mm-hmm. Joseph Cotton and Agnes Moorhead mm-hmm. are both sort of frequent collaborators of his and they've been in lots of his other films and were very well known in sort of the 40s and 50s um there's not anyone that's like hugely well known now but they were very sort of famous at the time uh i was trying to think of an actor comparison i was like the ed norton of the 1940s but that's harsh on ed norton probably um i love ed norton it was a big commercial failure it it cost about eight hundred thousand dollars yeah it's quite a lot of the time and did not at all make that back. Everyone hated it. Um, and hey, the critics didn't. The critics didn't hate it, but everyone else did. Uh, it got. It wasn't shown in Europe because World War Two. Yeah. Um, and it only really got a fair reevaluation about ten years after its release yeah. in sort of the fifties, which is when people actually really started appreciating it. Which is coincidentally, if we're comparing it to the history of films. A scholarship and criticism mm-hmm. is when people started seriously analysing film as a medium. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, one of the big reasons apparently why it didn't do well in Europe is because um, Jean Paul Sartre saw it and hated it yeah. and wrote an entire thing about how much he disliked it. <laughs> and that meant everyone was like, oh, Sartre said it's bad, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I just think that's really funny that Sartre was like, I just hate Do you know why he didn't like it? Um, Oh, do you want me to read out his, like... Yeah, his I'm just... Diatribe? I'm curious. Uh, okay, give me just a second, because I, I just had that he didn't like it. Oh, I didn't have why he didn't like it. Because I think there's definitely some valid criticisms that you could give the movie 
Yeah. But I'm curious if it's a personal taste thing or if it's specifically a philosophical perspective. Well, it's a freaking long uh, thingy. It's okay, you don't have to read no, it out. I'll find out, I'll find out. Um, there you go. Uh, Sartre criticised the film's flashbacks for its nostalgic and romantic preoccupation with the past instead of the realities of the present and said, the whole film is based on a misconception of what cinema is about. The film is in the past tense, whereas we all know that cinema has to be in the present tense. Okay, so I may be totally misremembering. Yeah. But th- this rings a bell that Sartre was very much like film's job is to do realism, basically. Yes. Um, which I strongly disagree with. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's why he didn't like it. And um, also this was at the time where people thought Hollywood filmmakers were kind of uncultured and just weren't good for, like, film in general and yeah. culture because they were like, they are, they're not making high art. Yeah. So I think you don't always have to make high art for something to be fun. So this was sort of a quite a big, like, tipping mm. point in, in film history, I think. Joke's on you, Sartre. It's number 92 in IMDb's top 100 96. movies. 96, of course. Which I think is... I'm vaguely surprised at that. I though. want you to watch it and then tell me what you think. If only we had some sort of podcast for what. <laughs> um, so... Once it got re-released in the 50s, it became a bit more of a financial yeah. success, made about two million. Oh, good so it for sort them. Of made its money back. Um, Orson Welles had to really fight to get this through stu- the studios and out in the first place, and yeah. it really hurt his social capital that the film was not liked for about ten years. Bless him. And he had to take some quite uh, bad jobs, unfavorable, yeah, um, contracts with uh, film studios and things yeah. like that. But he he managed to turn it around. Eventually, him. and went on to make all of his other bits and pieces. So, um, talking about the legacy, it's retrospectively thought of as one of the one of the be- like inverted commas best films mm. ever. Because obviously, there's not a one measure yeah. of whether a film like anyway. We'll get into that later. Um, it's got a very unique and iconic cinematography style. Yes, which inspired other. Sort of historic, very famous films like uh, Gaslight and Maltese mm. Falcon. Yeah, I think its style is really obvious in some of Hitchcock's later work yeah. as well. Um, and the narrative structure and style also inspired Lawrence of Arabia, which is quite a oh, good film. Interesting. Um, I've got a big list of directors who like this film, so I'm just going to rattle these. Through. Yeah. So, a load of directors have called this film their greatest single inspiration, which are Paul Thomas Anderson, mm-hmm. Ridley Scott, mm-hmm. the Coen Brothers, yeah. Francis Ford Coppola, yeah. And Sergio Leone. Yep. This tracks for all of their movies. And uh, a lot of other directors have their, have said it's their favourite film ever, who are Kenneth Branagh, yep. Martin Scorsese, yep. and Stanley Kubrick. Yes. So, I, I put it here, it's, it's a filmmaker's favourite film. Yeah, I know. would totally agree. It's your favourite director's favourite film, yeah. I think, is how you describe this. Exactly. I haven't seen it yet, so I'm kind of curious. I, I hope you enjoy it. I think... When so this is another one of the films we did very early on in like my first year, first mm-hmm. class sort of film one hundred and one. Here's everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. And the topic we looked at while we were studying this film was narrative structure, the way a story is told, the way the editing is done to tell the story. This is going to this. It's it's kind of hard to conceive because prior to this film, a lot of other films didn't tell stories in the sort of narrative way we're used to mm-hmm. um, you know where you kind of had like the hero's journey beginning middle and end um, they were a lot more abstract in their storytelling yeah and it's very much 
You know how when I said I didn't enjoy The Night Manager because it was just a bunch of spy cliches? Yeah. And you said, yeah, but it invented those cliches? More or less, yeah. That, that's kind of what we're looking at with this movie. Yeah. That's really interesting. So it, it's hard to conceive because it reinvented something which is now so normal to us. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of a pioneer in that aspect. Yeah, which is interesting. And I find it very interesting to see it as well. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I love like Hitchcock films. If you like Hitchcock films, you'll like this movie. Okay, good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hot take, Hitchcock, good director. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think his style is really timeless. Yeah. And I'm hoping for something like that from this movie. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I hope you'll enjoy it. I remember watching this movie... And kind of being a bit grumpy about it because I was like, oh, you know, everyone says it's like such a great movie. It it can't be that good. It's just, you know, certain people having these opinions and it's forced to become part of the canon. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, it's actually pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, seven-ish years later, um, I hope I still, I hope I still feel that way. Me too. So we're just going to briefly touch on the plot. So, um... A famous sort of media and newspaper magnate called Charles Foster Kane is dying. Mm. A reporter is assigned to sort of decipher his words and investigate kind of the life story, basically, yeah. of of Charles Foster Kane, uh, who kind of rose from obscurity to be very rich and powerful. Yeah. Um, like the dude from Succession. Like the dude from Succession. Uh, uh, Logan Roy. Yeah. Uh, Brian Cox's character. Yeah. Quite similar, yeah. although um, uh, he's more based on River Murdoch yeah. than anyone else. But I think if this film was made today, Charles Foster Kane would be a lot like Rupert Murdoch. If this film was made today, everyone would be like, oh, they just stole the idea from Succession. A hundred percent, that's what people would say. Well, yeah, if it was made like today, but yeah. I mean like if it was made in the 21st yeah, century. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the reporter interviews... Charles Kane's friend and colleague and his mistress and sort of shed a few fragments of light on like yeah. Charles Kane's life but the reporter fears he will never penetrate the mystery of the elusive man's final word Rosebud do you know yeah it's, it's this it's well okay this Spo- movie's spo- been this movie's been out so long for an 81 year old movie it's the sled yeah his childhood sled so I went into the movie knowing that and honestly it still hits emotionally yeah. it's it's a good emotional I movie. think it, like, not to sound gatekeepy here, mm. I think it's kind of impossible to be into films and not know the twist ending of Citizen yeah. Kane. no, I feel because you. Because it's so in popular culture and it's something that's, like, um, parodied and referenced a lot in other films. Mm. Or, it's, 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 like, there's a Simpsons scene where they do yeah. Rosebud, like... Yeah. That's um, where I found out about it. Really? Yeah. That's funny. When I was, like, ten. I've got my little trivias from Ooh, IMDb. Yes. Let's um, go. The film was so popular with audiences that at the Academy Awards... Um, oh, I, I didn't do the Academy Award nominations. I'll do that now. Um, it was nominated for nine Oscars, which is lots. Critics loved it. Uh, which were Outstanding Motion Picture, Best Agree. Cinematography, Agree. Best Actor, Agree. Best Original Screenplay, Agree. Best Art Direction. Best Art Direction, yeah, fair enough. Best Editing. A strong agree. Best Scoring. Agree. And Best Soundtrack. Agree. For me, scoring, acting are the two... No, scoring, sorry. Editing and acting are the ones mm. that stand out. And of those, it won um, just the one which was Best Original Screenplay. Can't believe it won, didn't win editing. Say psych right now. Um, should I look up which... It, sure, which I probably one? won't have seen it. You might have done. So, 
Outstanding motion picture was won by How Green Was My Valley, which is a very good film, which was also Best Director. Best Actor is Gary Cooper for Sergeant York, who played Sergeant York. Um, what was the other one you... Oh, editing, right? Yeah. That's always the one I care about the most. Best Film Editing was won by Sergeant York as okay. well. Yeah, haven't seen it. Also, at this sort of time, they had separate cinematography for colour and for uh, black and white. I agree. Which I think is interesting. I think it's cool. But yes, it was. So it won Best Original Screenplay yeah. for Orson Welles, which good for him. Yeah. He got something. Yeah. <laughs> The film was so unpopular that whenever its name was read out at the Academy Awards, which happened quite a lot because it was nominated people nine booed? times, people booed it. Oh my gosh, the drama. And allegedly someone threw something at Orson Welles when he went up on stage to get his thingy, but the I drama. can't find anything to like substantiate that, but it's it's a rumour. That's great. That's so good. But I'm like, can you imagine, like, can you imagine some sort of controversial event happening at the can Oscars? Can you imagine violence at the Oscars? <laughs> nice. Um, so... One uh, more trivia. Mm-hmm. One of the newspaper magnates who Charles Foster Kane is partially based on is called William Randolph Hearst. Yes, I knew about um, this. He hated the fact this film was made about him. Yeah, I know. He was really angry about it. He made it so none of his publications could name the film. <laughs> so when his newspapers were reporting on the film, they just had to like the new just, Orson Welles film. Yeah, yeah. Or like describe it um, so <laughs> without naming it. That's so funny. Because he's like. That that guy, Orson Welles, he's not getting his name in my paper. I'm surprised. That's interesting because that then would imply he didn't have the basis to sue. Um, no, he didn't. Yeah. And uh, he did try to prevent um, Orson Welles making the film because he tried to get Orson Welles arrested and accused him of being a communist. I mean, he wasn't not a communist. No, I just think it's funny that he like tried to get Orson Welles yeah. arrested. Uh and it's just other stuff like um, Orson Welles and George Randolph Hearst, oh, sorry, William Randolph Hearst, end up in a, um elevator together yeah. quite soon before the film came out, and Orson Welles invited him to the premiere. <laughs> and then um, uh, William Randolph Hearst refused it, and as he was leaving, Orson Welles went, Charles Foster Kane would have accepted the invitation. <laughs> which is funny. King. I this think... is great, because I remember at the end of the... When we finished last episode, I was trying to remember if Orson Welles was, like, one of those terrible people historical figures. He was a pretty chill guy, actually. It's... Okay, just from this interaction, I don't know whether he's done anything else that's, like, cancelable. Yeah, tweet at us if he has. in the 40s. And I'll edit it out. Uh, but, like, he just seems quite funny, more than yeah. anything else. Um, a few more fun facts. Um, the original nitrate negatives for this film mm-hmm. were... Uh, destroyed in a fire in the 1970s. Oh, no! Um, so all the film versions that exist of this film now are just copies. D- yeah. So the actual original negatives are lost forever to, God, that's to the flames. Devastating. Yeah, I think it was well and Randolph Hearst. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a joke. I don't think it was either, but... No. Um, and the, uh, the last one is um, only one of the sleds used in the film survived, um, survived production mm-hmm. and... That sled was bought by Steven Spielberg for $100,000 for his private collection. That's great. Good for Steven. I think it's cool that Steven Spielberg was like, this is a piece of film history. I would also say, by the way, I was trying to remember the name of the editing and storytelling style that this film kind of pioneered, which is it's called the classical Hollywood style. Yeah. Is what it's referred to. Oh, um, uh, Steven Spielberg has donated the sled to the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. Oh, that's nice. The Oscars don't deserve it. And Steven Spielberg said... that belongs in a museum. Yeah. When he handed it over. Yeah. Which is a reference to Indiana Jones. Yeah. 
I just think that's cool, but <laughs> he did that. Anyway. I think it's more cringe that Indiana Jones was his movie. I think it's kind of funny. It's a bit up yourself. Same <laughs> thing is about Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Congratulations, Steve. If you're listening, I don't mean it. Uh, the Oscar was sold. The Oscar that um, Austin Wells won yeah. was sold for six hundred thousand dollars in 2012. Crazy. Um, People have too much money, I think. Yes. Obviously, um, Mank, who the film Mank is yeah. about, his uh, copy of the script was auctioned for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Too much. People have too much money. Yep. And Orson Welles is uh, 24 pages from a script that uh, Orson Welles' daughter found was sold for 15000 as well. I think we should return to a trading or bartering system. Well, you think Steven Spielberg should have like swapped it, one of Indy's hats from yeah. Indiana Jones yeah. or like, uh, the, the bike from E.T. for the I sled? I think so, yeah. I do like to believe that there is like a secret barter system between directors where they just trade like memorabilia from their films uh, I'm just going to go through our final questions so uh, you're excited to see if it hits like it did when you yeah. first watched it I'm excited to see some of the filmmaking techniques because I haven't seen it but I've seen a lot of the other films that it uh, is listed as having inspired like uh, The Maltese Falcon or yeah. uh, North by Northwest is another one I am really interested to see your perspective because a lot of the enjoyment that comes from this movie, like you were saying, it's a, your favourite director's favourite movie, yeah. is very technical, mm-hmm. um, which is how the, the whole bit of this podcast is that's how I approach these movies, yeah. and that's not how you approach them. So I'm interested to, to see what you think. Very kind of you to imply that there is any sort of like consistent <laughs> thread or structure to this podcast, but anyway. I'm smart and you're dumb. That's it. Um, yeah, more or less. And my last one is, what movie snack are you going to have with us? I'm going to have a fancy cheese platter. A fancy cheese... Well, no, but a traditional snack. Traditional in, movie in snack. A hyper, we, we are going to watch it with a cheese platter, but... Mini cheddars? A mini cheddars? I feel like there's a British movie snack. Is it? It might be. Yeah. I want to keep the cheese theme. You want to keep the cheese theme? I want to keep the cheese theme. And we've already said nachos... Uh, with like that exactly radioactive bright yellow cheese there's been a recipe going around the internet which is how to make it and I I am tempted you could do it for like the next one you're supposed to make it with cheese singles and a bit of milk and melt it in the fridge god that sounds horrible I'm intrigued okay and oh my last question is um, last time we did the show we talked about putting on a themed dinner Mm. to match a movie what what meal would you make with this to match like Citizen Kane? I would do... Mm, like a Citizen Kane themed dinner, you know? I'd do like a fancy buffet party with crudités, but like specifically those horrible like 30s and 40s crudités where it's like, here is like a tiny mint jelly with like prawns in it or something nice. like that. Um, yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. I and mean, champagne. There's a famous or just cigars and champagne breakfast scene in Citizen Kane, which I know about. I'm sticking with cigars and champagne. Final answer. Nice. Fair no, enough. no food. No food. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think you could do something. You could do like a baked Alaska as a reference to Rosebud, like a little chocolate sled. In there yeah, or maybe. No, That's I think, too I think, cute though. Uh, it's cute. It's always cute to know someone else to say. Yeah. Okay. He would be like, absolutely not. Anyway, I can I can hear the 
trailers about to begin at the drive-in. So we better get in our car and zoom over there in your little mini. Get it like that. Okay. Um, so, you know, phones off everyone because it's time for our viewing to start at the date night drive-in. Whee. And we'll be back with our thoughts. After these messages. <laughs> After these messages from our sponsors, which is just other projects we do. <laughs> Oh, I thought I thought I, I thought we got on today. No, it's fine. To the drive. Well, the date night drive in. Oh, we really we really effed that one up, didn't we? Yeah, yeah you can swear here. Okay, we fucked that one up. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you want to try it one more time? Yes, yeah, fine. Welcome back to the date night drive in. Yay! Wow, we did it. incredible! We did it. So we just finished watching Sister Kane. Well, not just finished. We watched it yesterday. We watched it in the last 24 hours. Yes, which... we had time to mull it over. Uh, indeed. Um, we watched three films yesterday. We did, and they were great. They were. Well, we watched Bodies, 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 which was very good. And we watched Do Revenge, which was, again, weirdly fun. It was great. Will was surprised he enjoyed it. Uh, yes, correct. <laughs> um. So, Citizen Kane. Yes. I have thoughts, but first I want to know what you thought. I really enjoyed it, actually. Um, I think you could see a lot of the seeds in it which would go on to kind of inspire all those other directors we talked about in the first mm. part. Um, it's very unique, I'd say, in its style. It's very very clear in its style compared to other films that I've seen from the 30s and 40s. This this is definitely the most um, remarkable one. and I think probably the most modern one Yeah, as well. absolutely. Yeah. I think the, hugely influenced modern cinema. Yeah, the narrative structure is really interesting. Um, I, think, I think that's great. I think it's phenomenally acted, particularly by Orson Welles. Um, Do you, did you like the flashbacks? Do you think Sartre's wrong? Uh, I just think Sartre's like, wrong kind of in general. But, <laughs> um, but specific, specifically here, yeah, I, th- I think the flashbacks really serve the narrative and um the way they sort of run almost person by person you you view him through his relationships with all these different people and sort of the common threads that are there and everything like that yeah so uh shall i walk us through the plot then shall you i shall so it starts with um charles kane dying uh, alone in his beautiful mansion with a private zoo hundreds of rooms it's described as a pleasure palace. Um, and there's all this drama in the newsreel about, you know, was he uh, as someone who was just trying to deliver the news to people? Was he a horrible, manipulative, like, Machiavellian figure? Mm-hmm. Uh, did he treat the women in his life terribly or did he truly love them? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we cut and we see that was just a newsreel story that the press are currently working on to announce his death. Yes. One of our, um, our our point of view character, our journalist, is then sent out to find out the meaning of his last word, Rosebud, to see if they can learn a little more about him. Because all they really have are the facts of what happened to in his life, not who he is inside as a person, I suppose. And, and that's quite a common theme in the movie as well. The difference yes. between uh, the, the events of someone's life and how that sort of defines them and makes them as a person. Absolutely. And so this journalist goes around interviewing significant people from Kane's life, one of his ex-wives, his best friend, or his ex-best friend, 
his business manager and his butler. Yeah. And uh, through each of them, we see uh, individual chronological snippets of Kane's life. So he'll go talk to one person and they'll tell him everything they know about Kane from young boy to old man. Then you go and talk to the second person and they go from young boy to old man. So we're, we slowly begin to sort of fit the puzzle pieces together. Puzzles which are a, a visual motif in the movie as well. Many times. Yes. Um, it's most specifically when his second wife who feels trapped in her large stately home. Um, it's just She's just sitting around doing a lot of puzzles, going a little bit insane. Yep. Um, at the very end, the journalists conclude that they'll never really know what he meant by Rosebud, one of them suggesting that perhaps it doesn't matter and that a single object or person can't change the whole meaning yeah. of an entire Is that one, one word can't define an entire person, a person's entire life? Uh, we then zoom out on the sort of, I think you described it as almost an Indiana Jones kind of like room full of collected stuff. Yes. Um, and then zoom in on another part of it where it is being destroyed. Um, and, and yeah, his uh, his items are sort of being uh, packed away or kind of broken up and thrown into a fire. And we see, of course, that the um, puzzling rosebud was his childhood sled. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's the end of it. That is the end of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I have a few notes about this and I've walked everyone through. My first point being that Orson Welles loved to play, loves to play huge dirtbags. Yes. It's great. It's so fun. I think I have a very visceral memory of watching this when I was younger and not realising until sort of towards the end of the film that you were supposed to not like Charles Kane, that you were supposed to sort of see him as a tragic figure. But watching this now, I'm kind of like... Yeah, he sucked. Glad it's over. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think he is simultaneously a tragic figure while being sort of deeply unlikable and, and an arguably bad person. Mm. Um, because you can see how his entire life is defined by... It's sort of his own making, right? Yes, uh, but you can see that his entire life is defined by the incident where he was taken away from his parents yeah. and um, was sort of, sort of forced to grow up sort of with, uh, you know, just being looked after by uh, Thatcher, the, the yeah. man who sort of adopted him and managed his fortune. Yeah, and uh, he made that everyone else's problem. And Yes, he, yeah, he did. Uh, but you can see by the amount of time they return to it in the movie how sort of consistent a present, a thread that is in his life and how that um, deeply affects him emotionally, which sort of ends up uh, kind of precluding him from making any significant emotional relationships, friendships, or whatever in his He's just life. so concerned with people liking him all yeah. the time. It's yeah. exhausting. Which which I think definitely stems from the feeling of abandonment he yeah. got when he was early on. Um, so I think another significant point that we could chat about is the power of media. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, you know, previous to this, that the big thing Orson Wilson had kind of done before this was the War of the Worlds radio drama. Yeah. And whilst obviously the idea that people believed it to be true is a huge myth, the fact that it was presented as sort of live reporting, um, and this is about a man who, uh, what did you describe it as? Um... The type of news he did? Um, it, was, it was called yellow journalism at the time, which is... Uh, it's kind of... A, a, it's what is now clickbait, basically. Okay. It's like... Um, it's called yellow journalism, but it's like um, tabloid headlines, sensational headlines with no real sort of story behind it. Um, uh, it's a, just, just a load of sort of fabricated or over-exaggerated nonsense. A lot of which actually attacked his own 
interests and the companies that he held shares yeah. in. Um, and so I think Orson is definitely fascinated, I think, in his work with the power of media, what it can do, what its true purpose is, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the editing style for this is so tight. It's really good. I think it's cut really well. There are a lot of quite fluid cuts where someone sort of starts a movement and it ends a cut and then it ends. The, it cuts to someone else sort of finishing a similar movement. Did I describe that well? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which is really stylized, uh, but in a almost subtle way. Um, and I think the uh, while we were talking about some reasons people may have not enjoyed this or why it may have sort of quote-unquote flopped is that a lot of stories at the time were very beginning, middle, end. This happens, then this action happens, then this action happens. Whereas there's almost little to no action in the movie. There's no progression in any of the external characters post the death. Yeah. All we really see is in the past what has happened, how people have sort of become worse. It's a character drama, is what I'm saying. Yeah. The action is all in- internal, um, which people still aren't always necessarily huge fans of currently, um, but was, I think, quite unusual back then. I completely agree. Um, yeah. I think there are some really fantastic scenes, such as um, such as the sort of uh, montage sequence... Not montage, montage sequence. (laughs) Um, Between uh, himself and his first wife um, in the breakfast sort of montage sequence. Where they sort of show like 15 years of story time in about two minutes. um, By showing them in the same setting and sort of in the same places. But clearly ageing and how these uh, sort of long running differences between them were further sort of exacerbated by... Orson Welles' character and his priorities, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Charles Charles Kane's um, personality and priorities, and uh, the way that was just shown so sort of succinctly in in two minutes, where you totally understand the entirety of their fifteen year relationship, I thought was was marvelous. That was excellent filmmaking. The details of showing not telling, I think, are really significant throughout as well. Sort of jumping yeah. off that, uh, there is a moment where people throw a dinner in celebration of his honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of his achievements, and some showgirls come out and sing a little song sort of about how great he is, and he knows the words to it, which means he wrote a song about how great he is, which tells you a lot about who he is as a person. Yeah, and he and made, like, a, a, a effectively a load of, like, showgirls sing it. Yeah. Is, yes. Interesting. An unhinged man. Um, I think... There is an obvious comparison to a, a modern-day figure who I think Charles Kane is quite similar to, and you probably know who I'm getting at here. I'm sensing three strong possibilities. Go on, I'm, I'm interested. I think there are definitely three options. A famous blonde person. Yeah. A famous South African. Yeah. <laughs> and a famous bald man. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think definitely more uh, Donald Trump and Elon Musk could yeah. do that I was talking about there. Yeah. Particularly... Um, the, the way he views himself, um, I think, is very similar to uh, Trump. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know. Yeah, with 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 a small a small loan of uh, of a million dollars <laughs> in 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 a gold mine, um, he was able to purchase a small independent paper. <laughs> but the the use of the use of the media to to manipulate public opinion and to advance his own 
sort of ideals which are very very capitalist. We're not going to have an argument about that word this time, and um, quite fascist actually as well. I think yeah. it's really um, really similar. Even the self-described myth of coming from all, all sort of half truth of coming from humble beginnings, yeah, and pulling himself up to where he is today, when in actual fact the gold mine location that his family's house was on is gave him basically unlimited wealth. When he got his trust fund, he was one of the wealthiest men in America instantly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, he, he bought the newspaper because li- literally, as the quote in the film is, I think it would be fun to run the paper. Yeah. And that's sort of his his view of of it. So I think it's a really interesting uh, take, I suppose, on, on the power of media and the, the intentions of the people that control it. Um, and... I think it would be interesting to see how a story like this could be told today with um, kind of the importance of social media. Oh, yeah, it's a really... Which I guess is just the social network, basically, which yeah. is one of my favourite films. So. Yeah, no, the story really resonates today, I think, with this idea of um, multi... With, with the idea of owning, you know, so many businesses, having influence over a huge sphere of media, leaning into politics... Pretty much everything you do, um, which in the case of Charles Kane is, you know, which in the case of Charles Kane is, you know, um, divorcing his wife, um, shacking up with a much younger girl, forcing her into a career she's not interested in, and then beating her until she tries to kill herself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You you might need to trigger warning that bit. I will. He's not a good guy. No, no, he's not a good guy. And yeah, the way he sort of um, compels her into into that opera career and yeah. fires his best friend for writing a negative review about her, but then publishes the review anyway yeah. to further manipulate his wife. It's, yeah. just, it's, it's an exceptional portrayal of a um, emotionally non-developed, like totally sort of emotionally and empathetically bereft man yeah. who's just entirely sort of selfish and views people just as means to an end rather than actual... Mm, absolutely and sort of in that same way when you finish the movie and just look at how despite full of things empty his life was it's kind of satisfying yes yeah absolutely um you know he 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 dies sort of sad and alone and that's it's the the movie never uh, you know it's the sort of movie where certain people would probably go, oh, well, they never explicitly say that Charles Kane is bad, but the the movie makes no bones about um, showing how negatively impacts basically anyone he has any sort of uh, relationship, personal, professional with. Absolutely. And by by sort of showing what happened to, um, you know, his second wife, who's now now sort of... um, She's an alcoholic. She's an alcoholic who's running this uh, nightclub. And... You, you know his his uh, former sort of uh, best friend uh, Leland is now in like a nursing home, yeah. and uh, you know no one no one that sort of crossed paths with him has, has ended up in a in a better place. And his business manager is doing okay, but that's because he was basically a yes man for his entire life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And um, I, I think there's definitely interesting commentary about how just by having money being able to manipulate public opinion about the war and then marrying um, a relative of the president. Yeah. Um, you know, Kane was able just to rise to this huge sort of political power and it was only because he was found out for having an affair with um, 
with yeah uh, Susan, the much the much younger woman, that he he wasn't able to advance his political career. Absolutely. So you know, it was sort of the only obstacle was basically that he got found out. It was nothing to do with his personality or anything like that. You know, the obstacle was just that he got caught doing yeah. something bad more than anything about him as a person or the structure of the government. And I think the the interesting thing is that a lot of the themes and a lot of the, the criticisms of his life are still present with some of those big names that we mentioned today, you know, like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, I think Mark Zuckerberg's... Oh, Richard Branson. <laughs> yeah, Richard Branson, um, that sort of fall into this this overall bucket. So Oligarchs, I think, is a useful word to use here. I, 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 absolutely. Um, his, and the, I, I've touched on it a few times, but the way that he controls the media and sort of he's shown, you know, going around Europe, having conversations with the, the major party leaders before World War Two and sort of smugly saying, saying there will be no war in Europe. They're all really nice guys. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, there's a lot of indignation I feel in this movie from Orson Welles, which is basically, you know, um, an inordinate amount of money is evil. The power to manipulate all media at your will is evil. And um, the... Uh, what's the opposite of separation? Um, Joining, I guess? Of? Of media and politics. If someone yeah. is in politics but is in control of the media, they're it's all, also They're almost sort of in like, symbiosis. Absolutely. Other, yeah. Well, scary and sadly still pressing stuff. A- uh, abs- absolutely. And it's it's a... There are no punches pulled. It is a cutting, um, very sort of raw and visceral portrait of um, an evil man living a lonely life and you can see why particularly um what's his name William Randolph Hearst was yeah. so um sort of incensed by this and so desperate to sort of shut this shut this film down and to sort of cut it off and I can see why people walked away from that movie and were like maybe Orson Welles is a communist yeah because it's 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 definitely a big criticism of effectively everything that America from the 20s to the I'd say 80s or 90s at the very yeah, least sort of really stood for for sure it's it's a criticism of the concept of um you know like you said pull yourself up by your own bootstraps that you know America is a land of opportunity you just need to work hard enough where uh, Kane basically does no work flunks out of colleges and just locked into a position of immense wealth and power yeah. through sort of sheer chance and then was just able to use his wealth to sort of sustain himself politically and kind of just take control, become one of the most powerful people in the world just through sheer luck. Yeah. And this is sort of a criticism of this idea of kind of capitalism basically and how, and you know, the American myth I'd say as a whole. It's a good movie guys. So I don't think that's really interesting if you parallel it with Scarface, which we've watched previously. Oh yeah, that's a really good point. Which are both sort of myth, you know, they both challenge the American myth, yes, I'd say. in very different ways. In very different ways. Um, do you have any questions for me? Uh, I, I've got my standard questions that I always ask. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of them is obvious, right? Which is, every character except one is replaced by Muppet, who do you pick? Clearly, it has to be... Orson Welles as Charles Foster Kane is the one human actor and then everyone else is Muppets. I'm going to present to you a different perspective. 
right. which is that the reporter is the human. That also works. Your, still... one is, your one is funnier. I just wanted to present, give you a different answer. I think mine is funnier, and I think you know, were Orson Welles at the peak of his power was when like he uh, would agree to this. When yeah, when when Muppet yeah. Muppets in movies became like a big thing, he he would have definitely been up. To oh, he'd have been this. all for it. The man would have been like Tim Curry in, or um, Michael Caine. My name is Michael Caine. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that's a madness song. There's one for the dads out there. Um, so yeah, I think I think I think reporter is sort of funny, but it loses it a bit because like the reporter is very. You just don't see his, to You have story. to make him more present. I think yeah, he's very visually which kind of. You don't have to give him more lines. You just have to make him. Yeah, like... if he's more important visually, I think that yeah. sort of weakens the overall purpose of his inclusion in the film. I'm just trying to make it interesting so we don't give exactly the same answers. Yeah, I'm right though. Yes, you are. Okay. The other one is you can have lunch with one person from the cast or crew. Orson Welles. I've been back to the Orson Welles. I think Orson Welles works. I think Mank. Oh works. yeah, of course you pick Mank. Um, I even think um, I'm just going to get make sure his name is right. I believe it's yeah, Greg Tolland, the cinematographer. Oh yeah, really interesting. Um, and I don't know if you noticed when they were going through the credits. Mm. Um. The slide that had, uh, you know, the slide in the credits yeah. that had um, Orson Welles' uh, direction and production. Yeah. On that same slide was featured Greg Toland photography. Yeah. Which was Orson Welles wanting to recognise how important Tone was. Absolutely. For the construction of this film by putting him on sort of the same There's, level as, yeah. as the director and producer. Truly a king. I would also like to add to my answer by saying young Orson Welles was very handsome. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um particularly some of the yeah I, I, I think I think he would have been a very interesting person to talk to would you have wanted to talk to him at the point this film was made or later in his career I want to talk to him retrospective I want to talk to him at the point this film was made mm-hmm. because I would want to like hype him up after it got kind of after it flopped a little bit yeah I think you know like that Doctor Who scene where Van Gogh sees like his painting mm-hmm. and how everyone loves it yeah, I want to do the same thing and kind of be like, "No, it's a great movie. People really like it. You're oh, you're doing a really good job." I think he, the confidence boost would be nice. Okay, so do we think uh, the usual suspects is um, underrated, overrated, or fairly rated? Uh, oh, sorry, not usual suspects. Yeah. that was last time. Citizen Kane is underrated, overrated, or fairly rated at ninety six in the top one hundred. I think at ninety six in the top one hundred, it's underrated. I agree. I would put it. I put in it in the, the 40s. For, yeah, forties or thirties. I totally agree. Um, so I'm I'm going to pick. So thirty five in the IMDb charts is Parasite. Spoilers. Yeah. Do you I... think special worse than Parasite? Parasite's really it... good. I put them on the same level. Is that is that an answer I'm allowed to give? Okay. Um, for, for one that we've already watched, The Usual Suspect is number 40. It's better, I than, think the this is better than The Usual Suspect. Absolutely. So I think I would put this around 40, and yeah. that's totally fair. Um, speaking of spoilers and other films on the list, I think we've kind of come to the end of our of our discussion of this. It's Will's turn to pick. It's my turn to pick. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got the box. You got to pick it out. The box. Oh, yeah, I hold the box. I hold no, the box. No, <laughs> Am's holding it out of arm's reach, am I? So I'm going to pick it out. Bearing in mind our rule about sequels is yes. that we wait until we seen watch. the first one. We've seen the first one because there are quite a lot of sequels here. Uh, it's the Lion King. Oh hell yes, 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 yes! Very. Oh, fun. I'm so excited. Oh, my Muppets question doesn't really work for this one because that it's animated. Oh, by the Lion King, I don't. I mean the Lion King. Yeah, 1995? 
Oh, I don't know. Before older than us. Not, not, not the, not the most recent Lion yeah, King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I. D- oh my god, I'm so. I only recently happy. found out there's like six Lion King films. I just thought there was there's one. There's three. Yeah, but, um, they did a load of direct-to-video ones as well, didn't they? I thought they just did um, the second one and then the Timon and Pumbaa one. Uh, and then more. I, well, this is to be discussed uh, next time, but. Franchise as a whole, there's The Lion King, Around the World with Timon and Pumbaa, The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, The Lion King 1 and a half, The Lion Guard, Return of the Roar, The Lion Guard, Rise, Rise of Scar, and The Lion Guard, Battle for the Pride Lands. And we will be watching all of them. We won't. Yes, we will. <laughs> you can. I'm not going to. Um, so, God, I'm so excited. That's it for now. But uh, We hey. always do like a film boy movie and then a fun movie. I know. It's great. So for, for now... Uh, here at the drive-in, we're going to kind of clean out the back of the car because I think we're going to have yes. someone out there. To be, we're going to throw away all like um, you know, take-out boxes and things like Delicious. that. Delicious. No, 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 no. Hoover the back of the car because I think next time we're going to have a guest. So yeah, we will catch you. Uh, uh, hopefully, same time. Uh, not the same time, but hopefully in a month. End of October. Time. End of October. End of October is the plan. It's okay. Another random question that occurs to me is. September, which is when we're watching this, an appropriate month for Citizen Kane. I think it is. Yes, I it think feels it like is. an autumn movie. It's very well. Because it, it's, it's. I think the any fall. movie made. It's pre- the fall, babe. Boo! Any movie made pre nineteen eighty is a good autumn film. A- any movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay, true. fine. Uh, but we'll catch you next time at the, the date night drive in. Woo! Woo! Skrrr. That's that's us pulling away. Skrrr! Skrrr! Skrrr!